My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the Voice of the Cape. Welcome to Voice of the Cape in our special syndicated Muslim Society conference broadcast. Joining us are Radio Al-Ansar in Durban and Radio Islam in Gauteng. Assalamu alaikum. Tonight we tackle a tough NDP topic, job creation, uppercase. The National Development Plan, which is the NDP, which enjoys a vision for 2030, wants to eliminate poverty and to create 11 million jobs. That's nearly a 50% increase on the current status quo. And yes, it's ambitious. But as they say in the classics, if you don't aim for the sun, you don't get to the moon. Tonight's program is an ASRI initiative looking at constitutional values and building society. Our panel tonight is Farid Sayed, Muslim Views Editor, ITV Presenter, and also at the ASRI Conference, which takes place in Gauteng on the 16th of May. He will in fact be the moderator at a session on job creation. Also online from Johannesburg is Shamila Ghani, who is Executive Director of the Job Creation Trust. Later on in the show, we'll be joined online by Patakili Holomisa, Deputy Minister for Labour. If you want to participate in tonight's program, you can SMS us at 47913, SMS 47913. Apologies for our telephone lines not being functioning, but because of problems with CECOM and the internet being off for most of the day, we have to keep our phone lines open in case of radio emergencies. But SMS line 4793 47913 for comment or any questions you might have to the panelists or any contribution you might like to make this evening. But uh, without further ado, a special welcome to our guests, Farid Sayed in studio and Shama Lagani online in Johannesburg. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi. Ladies and gentlemen, let's have a look at uh, the scenario we're dealing with. The NDP, it looks very ambitious. 11 million jobs created by 2030. Shama, I'm going to start off with you. You're ex- executive director of the Job Creation Trust. You're in the NGO sector. How realistic is this figure of 11 million? First of all, um, I must say, with the NDP, people must understand that this is, is, is a document, right? And within a document, it is what you would call a skeleton, and you need to put the flesh to it. It's got all of these... Uh, um, um, you know, achievements that they want to, to, to achieve by 2030. But it is individuals that need to put it into place and make it work. So it depends on the partners, on how successful implementation will take place. Look, it, it looks uh, um, quite, um, and the figures look quite enormous, 11 million jobs by 2030. But if you look, if, if they're put in place and if partners comes to the party and these particular things that need to be put in place to, to, to enable us to achieve this, I think it is workable. We might not achieve 11 million. We might just achieve below 11 million. But if every person plays a role in trying to make this work, it can be achievable. Shamala, is your point as well that in this day and age, 
no society anywhere in the world can rely upon government to do everything. We can have the best constitution, the best rules, the best ideas, but this is a two-way street. There has to be cooperation from the street as there has to be from government. Would you agree with that kind of perception? I agree fully with that, um, Shafiq, because government is the, and we must remember, um, you know, when policy, when you develop a policy, it is your vision, right? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, there are particular things, and we live in a global village today. We're no longer enclosed like during the apartheid era, where we were cattle from parts of the world, right? And, uh, um, and, and what needs to happen is that there are several stakeholders and partners that need to make this work. So, in actual fact, everybody, even the housewife at home, that is their contribution towards this economy. Right, so let's go to, to Farid Said in studio, editor Muslim Views and of course a television presenter as well. Farid, I'm going to take a slightly different tack. Uh, we would not be talking about an NDP in 1985, would we? In, just in terms of the, of the media landscape and, and getting to know what government has got in terms of plans, this is definitely an improvement along those lines, isn't it? Certainly, uh, Shafiq. You know, if I can just take a uh, a step back and and give all of this uh, a, a human face. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> you know, uh, for the past twenty years, I've been uh, driving past uh, a, a certain spot, a corner, close to my home, and you know, every single day, and this is Monday to Sunday, uh, a group of people stand there on the corner and over a period of time you get to know uh, the people and and i think to me you know really what what uh, I, I i you know i i see this really as the kind of challenge that the country faces is when the faces become familiar and these they are people they are looking for jobs and you know, so often when we look at statistics, and, and again, we'll, we'll come to the question of statistics, you've got uh, the narrow unemployment rate and you've got the broad unemployment rate. But before we talk about figures, behind, you know, uh, all of these figures, uh, there's a face, a human face. And I think that, you know, so when you talk about 1985, um, the apartheid regime didn't really have that uh, Ubuntu, spirit of Ubuntu. It didn't want to give anybody of color a face. Absolutely. You know. and, and so, you know, the, the point you make that uh, 20, more than 20, 30 years ago, a concept such as the NDP really wouldn't uh, have, have occurred in the minds of the powers that be. So that is a step. And, and I agree with uh, Shamila when she says that it needs partnership. But more than, you know, apart from that, you, you know, partnerships, uh, stakeholders. But I think the job creation uh, chapter in the NDP cannot be seen in isolation. Uh, we're looking at education, for example. In fact, uh, you know, I, I will quote what it, uh, it says. In fact, it talks about growth and jobs education and skills, and a capable and developmental state. These are the three uh, priorities of the National Development Plan. And one cannot work with the other. And particularly when we talk about uh, raising the employment uh, rate uh, through faster economic growth, it's underpinned by 
improving the quality of education, uh, skills development, innovation. And then the, 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 the other factor is, of course, the state has to play a, a developmental role. Within the ruling party itself, you know, while they all say that we are a party that uh, has as its objective a developmental state, there, there are debates of how, and about how uh, do you go about achieving that particular developmental uh, status. But I think the intention is there. So I, I agree. Um, it's a start. Uh, again, uh, to echo what uh, Shamila said, it's a plan. Uh, it's not uh, really a document which says, here's it, you know, uh, these are, you know, um, uh, bullet points of action. Uh, and, you know, if you implement all this and you tick all the boxes, we will reduce uh, unemployment, we'll create, uh, what, 11 million jobs by 2020. It's not as easy as that, Shafiq. Shamila, looking at this whole landscape, uh, Farid has used words like integrated, like shareholders, and he's, and he's pointed out that the NDP is a document is an integrated document that the one thing goes hand in glove with the other. I mean, you in the NGO sector, would you agree that if we are going to create more jobs, we have to lift standards of education, we have to lift levels of social awareness, etc.? Your take? That is very important because you, you, you need the buy-in from, from the various stakeholders. But I want to go back to, to, to education, right? Um, and, and, and just say, we've got so many um, graduates. We're not talking, you know, we will talk about matriculants, but look at the amount of graduates that are unemployed. And the, what, what I can, can, can mention here is that we say that we don't have the skills, right? in the country, and I don't buy into that view, that we don't have the skills. How do you get the skills if you're a graduate, never mind a matriculant, but you're not given an opportunity? Then we, we must link that to entry levels. And I can say I worked in the private sector, right, for, for quite a long time, in the finance sector, and just in, in coming 1990, most of the um, major companies in, the, in, in, in that sector raised entry levels, right? And, and I'll just give an example. Like, for instance, say uh, a, a call center agent. I'm just hypothetically giving you right. an example. Call center agent or bank teller. Why do you need a BCom degree? It's not rocket science. So we need to look at those entry levels where it's been made impossible for people to enter into a workplace environment, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that is where we link it then back to education. Do they need, at universities you don't get, at FET colleges you get practical skills where you go into a workplace, something like a learnership or internship, or what used to be called a, a, a apprenticeship. And, and that is what needs to happen as well. But companies, and that's why I say it is a partnership between various stakeholders. So if you're going to, the more difficult you're going to make it for people to get into a work environment, the less skilled workers you're going to get because people need practical experience. You can have the highest of education theory, but if you don't have the practical experience where you can apply that theory, how are you going to, 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 to then become a, 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 a contributor to the economy and to, to your community? 
Shamali, you mentioned a word that, that really struck a note with me, something I haven't heard for a very long time. The word apprenticeship. I can remember in trades, if you wanted to become a mechanic, a plumber, or whatever, you used to do an apprenticeship under a qualified artisan, and that used to be part of your qualifications. You got a really hands-on kind of a, um, an experience. I mean, as a journalist, I did a, an apprenticeship, quote-unquote, at a newspaper. I got my backside kicked for six months. But um, that's how I learned how to do the job. Going to university didn't help me one iota. Doing the job helped me. Do you think that we need to perhaps change this culture and, in, and in, in nurture a culture of apprenticeships? I, I think that that is very, very necessary. And therefore, the private sector needs to then play a, an important role in, 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 in this way, in creating jobs as well, to, you know, to, to create the space for, for practical um, experience and apprenticeships. In, in particular fields. But what I'm saying is what needs to be looked at is entry-level um, jobs for, for young people. We do have the skills in the country. Why do we say that we don't have? And I've worked all over the country in the rural areas and urban areas, and I can tell you that there are people with skills in this country because they are in... You know, we do projects in those areas where they create jobs for themselves. And you can see that people do have skills. They're willing to work. And this notion that our people are lazy is, is just not true. I'm glad you're saying these words, Shamala. Farid, your take on that, I mean, the concept yeah. of apprenticeships, I mean, you'll be nodding your head wisely to all, all Shamala's comments. <laughs> yeah, you know, in fact, uh, uh, oh, well, just uh, almost 40 years ago, I started as a printer's uh, apprenticeship, you know, working in a printing, printing press, uh, which happened to, uh, to print a newspaper. And, and that's how I got into journalism. So, you know, uh, certainly when it comes to apprenticeships, uh, it, 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 is, uh, it has a, a role to play in fact uh, and what uh, Shamila is saying that if the skills cannot be harnessed uh, those skills then go to waste and, and you know I was looking at the NDP uh, the, the document and uh, just you know examining exactly what uh, government really is talking about when it says skills development it's, it's, it's wide open, isn't it? Absolutely, you know. Uh, and so there are actually, you know, I see it from, from two perspectives. One is there are existing skills that need to be harnessed. Uh, I, I fully agree that if you don't need a, a BCom for a job, why insist on it? And, and in that way, I think private sector has made it very difficult for people to break into jobs. Uh, but then there are also people who are sitting with skills that can be honed and they're not given an opportunity. So you, you have a particular skill and, and government and private sector need to come forward and say, you know, we can use those skills, but we need to hone it. We need to uh, uh, shift uh, in, in a sense, redesign uh, that particular skills set that a person has. Uh, and, and I don't find that in the NDP, it doesn't go into detail, and, and I accept the fact that you know it's a skeleton, really. But I think we need government and private sector to say that we are prepared to do some, you know, do things out of the box, and and this has not uh, come forth either from some of the policy statements that have been made by government from the NDP, and certainly not from the uh, private sector, uh, Shavik. 
Shamala, to change on a slightly different tack, uh, about a year ago I spoke to an NGO that gives out over a million rand in bursaries a year. And they said what was concerning them was that there doesn't seem to be any idea in this country of where young people are needed. I mean, for example, maybe there should be a national census saying the banking industry needs 30,000 workers, teachers need 300,000, but we don't need any accountants, for example. Do you think we need to get something like this on a page? I think we do, um, Shafiq, because we also had students at the language school and now we have students with, with another institution with CTI around the country. And what we did was we focused on, on the area of, firstly, to prove that you don't need a university, a metric exemption, or what they would call a, um, they've got a new term for it, an exemption, an entry level for university. Um, we took this uh, financially disadvantaged students that had a metric that wanted to study further and then couldn't afford to. And we took them to this. I can tell you we had a 98% uh, um, over the three-year period success rate of students that stayed on the program for that wow. period. And it was in, in foreign languages because there was a need for interpretation, translation, and we, you have to do your assessment and see where it's needed and work with particular institutions. But out of that, it was also proven that this myth that you must have a distinction, you must have four A's or five B's or all of that to be able to enter university. It's an actual fact. The individuals, uh, um, you know, it, it's up to that individual that you want to study. You know, you, you're dedicated to your studies. And that was proven with a 98% over a three-year period of people that stayed on the program and passed out on the program. And to get them into job, you link it with placements because for them to go out and say, I've got this diploma now, and it's, it's obviously the same problem, entry levels. So what you do is you link it with particular placements in particular areas like court interpreters. So you have to make your assessment to see, is there a shortage of skills in IT or in whatever? What I can say is, and, and we have another pro uh, project or you can say it's a fully-fledged social business in Cape Town, right? Mm -hmm. In the textile manufacturing industry that supplies the retail groups. Now, there is, in that area as well, the, you, we were looking for a young student to place in this company for sales and marketing that need to know what it is in the retail industry to sell a product. We contacted Technicon because that's where most of it's done. Please place somebody with us for a mentorship. Did we get one reply? And there's a shortage then in that particular area. So it's, you don't have to look far and wide in particular areas because you can also see, like today, uh, I actually met with somebody and they said, in one of the bigger commercial banks in this country, the IT people are imported from India. Now you tell me, don't we have IT people that's, uh, that in, in this country that's unemployed? Absolutely. I'm actually shocked to hear that. I mean, isn't that an, that's an indi a serious indictment on us? Exactly. 
Farid, your take on this, I mean, I mean, at Muslim Views, um, I know over the years, countless people knock on your doors, young people. I mean, your take on what we're discussing right now in terms of young people being keen to work, but it's always a question of placement, of where do we put their talents? It doesn't matter whether you've got a BA or six PhDs. Yeah, yeah from, from, from my experience, uh, you know, I, I, I learned or I was mentored by someone uh, who doesn't, who didn't have a matric uh, certificate. Uh, he was a brilliant writer, and uh, I worked under him. In fact, he's one of the country's uh, top uh, intellectuals. In his, yes, <laughs> absolutely. So you know, I, I can vouch for for the fact that you don't really need a, a, a matric. Uh, so, but I think you know it needs uh, a, a creative. Uh, approach. Um, I, I, I like what uh, the Job Creation Trust, Shamil and them are doing with the uh, social enterprises, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- f- just over a month ago at uh, an International Press Institute uh, Congress in Yangon, uh, the guest was uh, Professor Yunus Mohammed. Now, there were some issues about the Grameen Bank. Uh, that's another issue. But what he's working on currently is exactly this. You know, he's encouraging big business uh, or business I wouldn't just say big business you know uh, business to invest in social enterprises to rescue companies that are uh, about to fold and he says look the, 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 the human capital is the most important capital and and uh, and he promises uh, that you'll get your money back you won't, you, won't, you won't make a profit so if you've got funds and you say you know I want to invest fine and, and one of the big businesses or um, uh, thriving businesses that they've invested in in, in Bangladesh is uh, installing solar panels. Mm-hmm. So they also address the question of high in- energy costs, also sustainable energy, but creating jobs, creating a sustainable business. So I, I, I think what it needs is it's creative thinking. And, and uh, you know, we, we have a guest, <laughs> Shamila, who's, who's involved in, in that type of uh, approach to get uh, young people into the workspace and uh, irrespective of you know whether they have a certificate or not if they have the skills if they have the determination we can we can really create uh, because one job if you bring in a person who is uh, competent who's keen to work that person actually creates more, more jobs because Absolutely, the, yes. the economy gets a pool so it's, it's a kind of a roll-on effect and I, 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 you know, I, I feel that big business and government need to show the will. You know, government needs to show political will, and I think big business needs to show financial will if, if they, they're really serious about addressing the issue of unemployment. If you just tuned in, uh, welcome to Voice of the Cape. This is a special syndicated Muslim Society conference broadcast, and of course also on air with us, Radio Al-Ansar in Durban and Radio Islam in Gauteng. Tonight we're talking about a very tough topic, job creation, and it's centered around the National Development Plan, which is a skeleton, but its vision for 2030 is to eliminate poverty and to create 11 million jobs. Our special guests uh, this evening, and they'll stay online, they'll be on after this ad break. Farid Sayed, Muslim Views editor, ITV presenter, Shama Lagani, executive director from the Job Creation Trust. If you want to send us an SMS, 47913. Unfortunately, we can't open the lines due to technical difficulties and the failure of CECOM, which is a cable which gives us internet. We've had to keep our phone lines open as an emergency because of that. But 47913, if you want to SMS a comment, 
or a question. Hopefully after the break, we're hoping to get hold of um, Deputy Minister for Labour, particularly Holomisa. He is um, somewhere on the road, so hopefully we can grab him for a few minutes to see what government's got to say about job creation. Tonight's programme is an ASRI initiative looking at constitutional values and building society. We'll be back after this. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the voice of the Cape. 91.3 Voice of the Cape, welcome back. Welcome to our special syndicated Muslim Society Conference broadcast. Also on air, Radio Al-Ansar in Durban, Radio Islam in Gauteng. Tonight we are tackling a tough NDP topic, National Development Plan topic, job creation. Vision for 2030, the elimination of poverty and the creation of 11 million jobs. Tonight's program is an ASRI initiative looking at constitutional values and building society and the ASRI conference takes place on May the 16th in which uh, Muslim uh, intellectuals have an engagement with government and civic society on the future of the country. Our panel tonight is Farid Sayed, Muslim Views Editor and ITV Presenter, Shama Lagani, Executive Director for the Job Creation Trust, and a special guest who's um, just joined us. He is uh, Deputy Minister for Labour, the Honourable Patakeli Holomisa. And I'm going to start off uh, with the Minister. Minister Holomisa, welcome to the show. I'm still a deputy minister. So deputy minister, all right. Um, I'm going to yeah. call you minister as a title. It doesn't matter. <laughs> just, just for the yeah. evening. Just very quickly, what's been happening in our discussion so far is our two panelists have expressed um, in terms of job creation, there's a need um, for education. And this is not education in universities, educating people how to do jobs, placement, entry levels. And a statement that has come out um, that it's a partnership, political will on one side, that's from government, and financial will from the private sector on the other side. Would you agree with that perspective? Well, what I know is that uh, we, we have, uh, in terms of our strategic plan and program, uh, a provision for wet cars to register in our databases so that uh, we can match their applications uh, with uh, the job opportunities that uh, the private sector registered, registered in our in our database. So in order for uh, employers to get the kind of uh, qualified people they need, we then register uh, work because together with their qualifications and experience. So in that way, therefore, we are able to facilitate uh, cooperation between government and the private sector in terms of uh, uh, identifying the skills that they need and also the jobs that the people are looking for. So in other words, you're saying that government is looking at, uh, uh, to coin a phrase, it's something like a skills census, a table of uh, skills that are available and, and that might be needed. Yes, exactly. That is the point. Something else has come out of the discussion, I'd like you to comment on that as well, is that both our panelists also agree that we need to bring back something called apprenticeships, that maybe this is, this is a constructive way of affirmative action in the positive sense where people can be mentored and taught the jobs while being on the job, because often theory isn't always what works, it's practical experience that counts. What is government's uh, perspective on the idea of apprenticeships? That is very true because we've discovered that uh, 
some of the qualifications that uh, our universities and colleges uh, turn out are not suitable for the labor market. And indeed, therefore, the, through the UIS, Unemployment Insurance Fund, the department is making a contribution towards uh, the training and uh, skilling uh, of uh, students that are, are being trained at the uh, what's called vocational education training colleges. So while uh, some are going to be those who are still looking for work, having passed their theoretical uh, education at the universities, we all and therefore are going to be given this opportunity to be trained for, for, for work. There are also, as you say, those that are already at work, but that are still in need of being in order to be able to apply the theory that they were taught at uh, the universities. Minister Holomisa, do you think that um, it's a challenge that lies ahead of us? It's not going to be easy that we have to put the flesh onto the bones of the NDP, that as citizens together, government, private sector, educational institutions, everybody has to work together to get this ground plan off the ground and flying. I think that is what informs uh, President Zuma's current administration, that uh, uh, departments of the state should stop uh, operating in silos, that they must uh, collaborate and cooperate with each other. That's why you have clusters uh, that are made up of various ministries that operate in the same field. So the Labour uh, Department, for instance, is part of the cluster, or that is called the economic cluster. So that, uh, if you're talking about uh, uh, infrastructure, were able to make a contribution to the department either in the form of a fund, as I've indicated, or in the form of uh, uh, the training of the people. Agriculture, agriculture, we have a contribution there. Mining, value chain, we also have a contribution in manufacturing and so on. So it's important, therefore, that both uh, within the government itself, the multi collaboration, but also with the private sector and, and society as a whole. In fact, in the Department of Labor, you must have to be in a massive cluster, just when I think about it, you know, all the departments that you just mentioned, because uh, surely from the Labor Department, in a sense, this is one government department that has to have a finger in almost every single pie. That is true. It is a huge responsibility, because uh, even in terms of social development, it has to be there, because once people are not employed, then we are in trouble as society. So it's a very busy department uh, and a very... A central one, strategic one in terms of job creation. Minister, we're going to let you go in a few minutes and our panelists will continue. One comment that has been made profoundly by both our panelists, Farid Said and Shami Lagani, is that there's, there's this myth that people say that South Africans don't want to work, that young people are lazy. Um, this is a myth, isn't it? Because the experience on the ground is that young South Africans want to be educated and they want to work. Your comment? imagine that would be anecdotal because they have uh, instances where someone would uh, be in a position to offer certain types of work to people who are in need of jobs only to find that they are spending that kind of, of, of job because they are looking for better paying jobs or even more if you like uh, uh, decent jobs and, and things like that but uh, the great majority of South Africans indeed uh, do want to work but it is to be expected that if you are uh, a semi-welfare state such as we are, people will assume that uh, people, will, instead of looking for work and uh, even uh, becoming entrepreneurs themselves, they will uh, simply spend 
mm. all the grants that we are getting from the state, but the grants that we are getting from the state are too little to provide a decent uh, living to any human being. So therefore, uh, it, it's something that should be talked about uh, to establish whether in fact indeed uh, South Africans are lazy or not. But uh, you do have instances here and there where you find that people are not very keen on taking on any kind of job. That's why you find a lot of uh, uh, foreign nationals uh, running uh, uh, businesses along our pavement and locals buying from those uh, from those kiosks that these people have. Also, the the shops that they have in the in the in the country and even in the village, you find that uh, they are providing work or doing work that us locals are supposed to perform. And you start asking yourself the question: Why aren't locals doing these kinds of jobs that uh, the foreign nationals are, are performing? Minister Holomisa, I know you're in between airports, you're in the car, you've been on the road all day. Thanks for yeah. taking time to talk to us on Voice of the Cape. It's been a great pleasure. Everything of the best and have a safe journey. The pleasure is mine. Thank you very much for inviting me. And that was uh, Deputy Minister for Labour, uh, Patikeli Holomisa, giving us government input into um, the whole Labour scenario, creating jobs. Just one or two SMSs that have come through. The first one says, I commend the panel for this discussion. Thank you. A question for the NDP. Well, the NDP is not a person that can't answer the question, but will training for job readiness include involving the members of the deaf? In other words, people who might uh, not be able to hear, etc. Etc. And um, another one is I agree with Sharmila. Why on earth does a driver's job need a matric certificate, for instance, to name but one? Sharmila has spoken about that one. Um, also, people need to be recruited for uh, sign language. Yes, we know about that one, don't we? And uh, somebody said, um, okay, load shedding in. Uh, Ramadan, okay, we, we can't deal with that one, unfortunately. Uh, we can't, haven't got a ma- magic wand. Shamala, your feelings on some of the things that the minister said? Sorry, Shafiq, I, I couldn't hear because the line from my side is quite bad. Um, so I, I didn't get a lot of what the minister had, had actually said. Um, my apologies for That's that. fine. So, so what I'm going to do then, I'm going to put the ball in your court in terms of uh, the SMS that came through. Somebody saying, why on earth does a driver's job need a matric certificate? And they probably ask for um, a university exemption on top of that as well, just as an example. Sorry, I didn't get that. The question is, why does a person need a, a, a matric certificate for a driver's job? This is a question from a listener. The, the, you see, that that is exactly what I'm talking about. So the goalpost keeps on moving, you know, and, 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 and this is what the issue is. We, it's not assisting unemployment because um, at the end of the day, why do you need a matric for a driver's job? Does it make sense? Do you need a driver's license with a clear record? How is your matric going to assist you right. if you have experience with a, a driver's job? This is, that's the question that needs to be asked. It's an open question, isn't it? Because um, I, I know it's, 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 a, it's quite a stressful scenario for people who go to school and they're not good with the books. I mean, some of us just aren't good at that. But yet, give them a spanner, give them a tool, and they are magicians. Surely we have to cater for these people somehow. Exactly. Uh, because we we have people with with uh, um, people living with with disabilities, 
If you take, for instance, uh, somebody that, that has uh, um, a disability that's called uh, um, where they can't read properly or write properly, but practically, you know, they, they, they can do a, a builder's job or a mechanic's job and things like that. Um, how do you assist that person? And, and that's where it comes in, your practical experience, and that's where it, we institutions have failed with recognition of prior learning. You go into an institution and say, give me a qualifi qualification for the experience, and that's why there is um, um, a law um, in the labor law that says recognize the person's experience by RPLing that person. And that's where institutions are failing people as well. No, absolutely. Uh, Farid, um, uh, uh, another thing that comes from the SMS here, the person says, hope I'm not out of line. You are in line completely. Talking about the fact that um, what about recruiting people for, for sign language? I mean, how many of us can, can read sign language and physically disabled in the job space as well? Yeah, yeah I think, you know, uh, uh, that that's one sector that, you know, we, we haven't directly addressed, but uh, as the uh, SMS uh, state, there is this concern that there are people uh, who are able to be fully fledged workers. Mm -hmm. uh, they can be in the workplace, uh, but uh, there's just a kind of a barrier. You know, so on the one side is uh, it's the matric and the university uh, qualification that's required. On the other side is when a person is, you know, as I say, differently uh, abled. A uh, person has, uh, for example, in in this instance, uh, the person doesn't just need to be employed to act as a sign language interpreter. That that person has skills that can be uh, utilized uh, in in any area of work, and and just on the question of the uh, needing a matric certificate to be a, a truck driver, I, I th it points to a, a, another. Uh, I think lack of initiative on the side of uh, business, and that is on the job skills training. Mm -hmm. Now there are the seaters. Uh, you actually get paid. Uh, you you get a kickback. You know if you train people uh, and you you up their skills. But there seems to be this relax uh, reluctance. So you have someone who doesn't have a matric. Uh, you employ that person as a truck driver. The person is skillful, you know, a good driver. But you should also then skill that person, not with a formal certificate. He said, look, you don't have a certificate. We'll make sure we put you through. I don't know if they still have night schools, uh, but, you know, it's not that. You, you then take that person and says, look, you know, we can actually use your skills more effectively on that side. And I know of an institution, an organization where a person came. Uh, it's a social enterprise where the person was uh, volunteered to actually pack uh, grocery hampers. And someone noticed on the floor, you know, the way she was running the line and, 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 and kind of while she was doing this job, which was very mechanical, she was also keeping an eye on other workers in the various lines. And the manager then said, says, no, no, I, I think, you know, you need to, to move elsewhere. And he skilled her so that she could then be of greater benefit to this particular social enterprise. 
And I think that is what we really need uh, from from all players. And and as uh, Shaminda said in the opening, it's not just uh, business. It's uh, uh, you know. People in the households, uh, you know, everyday people, you know, who can actually play a role in recognizing uh, skills in other people and say, look, I think, you know, uh, I, for example, in the workplace, if there's a work colleague, speak on behalf of the work colleague. Uh, that person may not really says, look, I may lose my job, you know, by volunteering or by saying that, look, I think I can be of greater benefit to the company in that particular area. You may need someone else to just give you that kind of push and speak on your behalf or say, look, you know, I, I will, I will motivate it. I think those are what those are the little things that we are looking at. And if I, you know, when mm-hmm. I started, I said this this kind of a, there's a human face to this problem of unemployment. It's not just about statistics, you know, and 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 the statistics uh, do make frightening reading, uh, Shafiq. Shamala, I mean, your take on this, my humble experience of of the workplace is that sometimes the infrastructure doesn't matter. Sometimes even the salary doesn't matter. It's about people, about people, and about people. And if you put a human face to people and you look at people quite seriously, they start to uh, to do amazing things in front of you. Your take on that? Our experience is well, Shafiq. If we look at our projects, you know, around the country, and 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 um, some of them are community, and some of them, like I said, the one particularly in 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 Cape Town, is a business that supplies retailers um, with, with um, clothing, right? Baby wear in particular. And there when you walk into the factory and you see 300 um, people, human beings sitting there that were unemployed before. And here there's a human face and you walk in and you think, imagine these people were unemployed a few years ago or a few months ago. Now they can provide, but they don't only provide for themselves, they provide for five extra people. And somebody can go to school and they will be able to pay school fees and they won't be, and they don't have to go to school hungry. And that is what job creation is about. It's about the next human being. And therefore, if my belief also is, and even in, inside the job creation trust itself, where we operate from is that we share our skills with each other because you cannot die with your education and with your skill. It's about sharing. And, and if you're confident in knowing what you're doing, then you won't be shy or scared to teach the next person. And, and, and it's about the next human being being able to progress as well. And, and that is what this is about. And, and, but what I've also noticed is, is, and reality for today, in today's society, mindsets have changed. It's about selfishness and it's about myself. So I'm just scared to scare, share my skills because if I do, that person might take my job. You know? Yes. But it's not about that because if you know that you're capable and um, you you don't feel threatened at all. It's about building the next person. We're not going to be on this earth forever. So why do you want to go away with that skill? Who's going to benefit? And it's about those 300 and odd women when you walk in 
to that door and you see them sitting there, it's about them and their families. And that is how we build society. And that is how we can create more jobs. Shamala, um, something else that's coming through um, in the SMSs, there's massive anxiety uh, in communities about young people in particular. They're going into matric and the big question, will I get a job? How can I get a job? Huge anxiety about affirmative action. Um, anecdotally, anecdotally on my side, um, I found by sharing my experiences, like you've said, has enabled, I suppose, my survival in the workplace. I don't know. What's your answer to this, this anxiety? It's, and it does exist. Look, um, there is, I think amongst a lot of young people, there is this anxiety about jobs because currently our economy is not a job growth economy because of various reasons, right? And, and the reality is there's few jobs and a lot of unemployed people. And it's about also taking the initiative and creating, go out there and be persistent, creating something for yourself as well. And, and not everybody is an entrepreneur, but there's this one or two or three or ten entrepreneurs that can create jobs for the rest of those that are not entrepreneurs. All of us definitely are not entrepreneurs, like all of us can't be doctors. And um, it's about that and, and, and taking initiative and, and taking your um, uh, future into your own hands. Government has made, and other organizations, NGOs like ourselves, and I must mention that the Job Creation Trust was established by organized workers in this country that donated one day salary to create jobs for those that are unemployed. And that is the second, they don't just toy toy in the streets and strike and all of that. And they took this initiative because they knew they had to do something. So it's about these innovative initiatives um, that individuals should take. But also what I want to say is what the downside of, of, of things is that you have to create this in an environment where you have to compete with established businesses. So you must use your, your creativity and innovation and, and try and break down those barriers to create something for yourself. And, and, and also uh, the incentives and, and, and uh, um, initiatives that government has put in place, uh, that seems to be, and, and it's a pity that the, the Minister of Economic Development is not on, because the bureaucracy
Thanks, Shomel. In fact, uh, that's the subject of another pro program if you, to reassure you. The Minister for Economic Development was in our sights, but unfortunately he wasn't available this evening. We harassed and hammered him for two weeks, but unfortunately he just couldn't fit into our schedule. We've got about uh, um, one minute to go, Farid. Um, I'll give you the, the, the honours of sort of trying to wrap up a very complex uh, subject, but I think hopefully we have managed to enrich those listening to us something about job creation. Yeah, I, I think, you know, maybe we should take it from uh, the despair that many parents uh, will face, you know, that ch uh, child is in matric. Uh, what happens thereafter? You know, we have a high uh, youth un unemployment rate. Uh, let alone, you know, unemployment generally. I mean, you know, and I, I need to quote figures, you know, uh, it's 25%. Uh, and that's the narrow definition. That's 25% who are actively seeking a job but can't mm -hmm. get a job. But if we go broad, you know, and I think the broad unemployment rate, which is some, uh, some say it stands at 43%. These are unemployed, available to work, but have not taken active steps to look for work because there's despair. And, and, and this is what we heard, you know, from, from that question is that uh, what is my child going to do, you know, and my child is in matric. So the despair has already set in before the person has even, in fact, sought uh, a, 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 a job or gone, gone out to seek a job. And therefore, I say that this initiative and and i want to bring it to the muslim civil society conference uh where we hope really that as acting as uh you know interlocutors uh people like shamila will be there and many others who have the experience in the background to actually share that knowledge and invite government and, and government uh, or state uh, representatives will be on each and every panel and I think this is the conversation that we need to have we said there is a, a crisis that we are facing uh, as far as joblessness is concerned but there are creative ways in which we can overcome that and one of the things we heard was cutting out the red tape indeed and uh, a special thanks to our panelists tonight Farid Said, Muslim Views Editor and ITV Presenter Shamal Aghani, Executive Director John Job Creation Trust, and early on in the show, the Deputy uh, Minister for Labour, Patakile Holomisa. This has been a special syndicated Muslim Civil Society conference broadcast tackling the issue of job creation. When ASRI has its conference, uh, Farid Sayed will be the moderator for this particular session. Uh, tonight's program was an ASRI initiative looking at constitutional values and building society. And if you go three W's dot ASRI dot CO dot ZA, you can get onto their website. From myself, Shafiq Morton, for the last time tonight, if you're on a journey, have a safe journey. If you're at home, have a good night. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.